0: For decades, uh, Palestinians, since 2003, Palestinians have had to live underground. Palestinians with mixed um, ID cards have had to live, for the most part, underground. And and living underground, um, particularly during this coronavirus, makes you especially vulnerable.
1: The Electronic Intifada.
2: The Electronic Intifada.
1: The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic
2: Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. And this is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nora Barrows-Friedman, with Asa and stanley Asa, how are you doing under quarantine in London?
1: I'm okay. Um, I am surviving under lockdown, you know, like all of us. Uh, doing my best. Yeah. Um, I miss seeing people. I miss going out yeah. and seeing people. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, because um, I work from home, and talking to you now over Skype is how we talk at work anyway, and I'm a big nerd anyway, and I stay in the house all the time anyway. Um, I thought I would cope with this a lot better, but I'm, like, really desperate to just go out and meet people anywhere.
2: Yeah, 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 it's true. I know the the introverted types like us, um, we actually do need, like, human interaction. Yeah, who do? (laughs) Despite what we think.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad you're staying safe and that your family's safe and um, we press on. Uh, And this episode, um, you know, again, we're talking about how Palestinians are coping with COVID-19 and the Israeli occupation and settler Colonialism. At the same time, Um, we have a great interview with Deanna Butu, um, following up on her piece that that we just published on the Electronic Intifada, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit. She talks about, you know, how um, how Palestinians inside forty eight present day Israel, as well as inside the West Bank and Gaza, um, are. Coping and and the the you know the the extent of Israeli policies of segregation and apartheid and racism, um, and how those are expanding uh, underneath the quarantine. So um, that'll be really good. But first, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's been happening with the Labour Party. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn officially resigned recently. Um, what have you been following? these days uh as things seem to be devolving at a quick pace in the labor party over there yeah
1: it's um it's kind of crazy that uh recent revelations uh the light they've thrown on jeremy corbyn the negative light and um and the parallels actually with bernie sanders yeah um you know we were talking about it yesterday and and uh Both of them basically were just too nice and were just savaged and destroyed by their own internal enemies, you know? And they... Yeah. Both of them just basically failed and refused to fight back, as as would have been required. So it's all very sad, really. Um, What's just come out here in the UK is a big report an internal report labor party report has been leaked and um my head's a bit frazzled because i've just been reading it all 851 pages um yikes (laughs) i did skip parts i have to admit so it's incredibly dull um yeah but there's some like really astonishing revelations in it um
2: in, in including some parts about you i mean there's been like a, a huge smear campaign against you personally yeah uh, yeah
1: yeah it's, it's 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 crazy um they it's um where to start there's so much in i, I i'm writing an article about it for the electronic intervada which will probably be out by the time listeners are listening to this or if not then soon after but um The first thing to say about it is that it proves pretty definitively using internal Labour Party emails and WhatsApp discussions that there was uh, a really vicious campaign by the Labour Party's own staff members, bureaucrats, um, you know, they're supposed to be neutral party officials. But we all knew all along they were all out to get and destroy destroy Jeremy Corbyn and even more so to purge the party of his supporters and in these emails and whatsapps and whatnot they're openly using the word purge they say we're gonna purge we want to purge all the trots they're wow. obs- they're obsessed by wow. trots and they basically say that i mean I, I i i'm not a fan of trots myself either but um that, that <laughs> to them uh essentially uh, they they consider anyone to the left of gordon brown to be a trotskyist like it's just this really mad sort of hyper anti-communism um from these
2: adding insult to injury yeah if you're not even a trotskyist yeah
1: exactly and um yeah it's 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 crazy there's some really nasty stuff in there you know these um labor party bureaucrats joking about you know uh, burning jeremy corbyn and hoping that he's one of his supporters Dies in a fire and all this kind of really, basically everything they yeah. they accused Corbyn supporters of doing, right? Um, and there's also evidence of um, anti-Semitism being used as a political weapon as well by the right. But um, the most disturbing part of it is actually uh, the Labour Party left, or we should say the official Labour Party left, comes out of it really badly too because they. I mean, it's the the, the report is written by. Um, Sort of leftish Labour Party bureaucrats who are pro Corbyn. It's I mean it's very much an att- an attempt to um, exonerate them, but in doing so, what they do is they contribute to the Labour anti-Semitism smear campaign um, and um, really ramp it up. Actually, so it, they yeah. they've, they they it shows that um, they people around Corbyn and Corbyn himself really really really. Um, wanted to endorse and promote the Israel lobby and Zionism Um, and it's uh, it gets into it in quite detail it's it's pretty excruciating stuff really I mean just one example of it the probably the most ridiculous example is from the part about me Um, and it says that I am guilty of an anti-semitic what it calls an anti-semitic trope because I said that Louise Elman was um, a Labour Friends of Israel officer. I just tweeted about this today, and um, I said <laughs> if they're gonna accuse, if they're gonna say that, then they should launch an investigation to Labour Friends of Israel because that statement was taken from their website. So it, it it's I mean it's 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 topsy turvy world basically. I, I what a nice in a lot of ways it confirms things that we already knew, but it um, yeah it's, it's it's interesting to see it confirmed in black and white really
2: and what are your thoughts on the new head of the labor party
1: well he said he's um he supports i forget the exact words um supports zionism without equivocation without qualification right you right. know and um the other two um contenders as well said they were zionists explicitly said they were zionists um so you know they're trying to argue that you can be pro-palestinian and support Zionism um but as we know Zionism is anti-palestinian racism um so it's it's uh, it's it's a really kind of depressing state of affairs but um there is um there's some hope in the fact that... The membership actually doesn't buy it because and and it's it's kind of seen in this report as well because they don't it it's really um I because I've caused them a lot of problems basically so I'm kind of <laughs> glad about that <laughs> I caused the witch hunters a better, lot for worse. yeah I caused the witch a lot of problems <laughs> apparently yeah um uh and that that's why they kind of and they they say it in the report that's why that's pretty much why yeah. they um made an example out of me and it shows that also i hate to keep sort of well i don't hate it i don't i don't hate keep but i enjoy saying that i was right <laughs> i'll admit um but i was right to yes. when i resigned in uh in february um i said i i wrote that um I was resigning protest at the Labour Party's actions against me in revenge for my journalism, um, and that their it, I felt that their actions showed that the 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 disciplinary procedure against me was uh, you know a political witch hunt and it was a show trial with a predetermined outcome. And what the documents okay. in this leaked report show is that that is the case. They had already predetermined the outcome. You know they were writing to me saying that. That um, they were referring me to the Labour Party's NEC, right, which is sort of semi-elected disciplinary rulemaking body of the Labour Party, and then they would decide on discipline, disciplinary action, which disciplinary action to take, if any. Um, but and so they were kind of giving it this veneer of, oh well, you know, there'd be a fair process, and they would decide. But actually, what this document shows is that the Labour Party bureaucrats had already made a recommendation to the NEC that I'd be expelled, you know, and that's really, really in contradiction of what they wrote wow. to me. So it was literally a predetermined outcome, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, it, it it's its its emblematic of the way the Labour Party has carried on all along, really, since uh, since 2015. Um, and in all these yeah. ad- attacks, uh, there, I mean, and and it you know it's not just me in the report it attacks, um, uh, you know what it attacks all these people the most high profile cases of anti semitism of so called anti semitism, um, who did nothing wrong basically like people like Ken Livingston, Jackie Walker, Mark, Mark Wadsworth, Chris Williamson, Tony Greenstein. None of them said anything anti semitic. Um, and and in this report they just say they're anti-semitic and for the most part they don't even present any evidence you know they just right. I mean it,
2: as as we've said before the accusation is the evidence
1: yeah yeah that's how it is so um it's uh or they present ridic you know they present ridiculous things like that example that I've just given um yeah. And uh, not to say that there's... I mean, it's quite a comprehensive thing. Um, and, you know, as I've written all along, um, it's not to say that there is no anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. You know, that's, that's how our, my position and the position of people like Jackie and all the rest is sort of parodied, um, you know, in a, such a large political party, half a million people there will be some examples of genuine anti-Semitism and the report does go into some of those. Um, But those are all um, muddled up with people who are expressing opposition to Israel, opposition to Zionism and support for Palestinians, uh, Palestinian rights. So um, it's really concerning and it actually really damages efforts against anti-Semitism. So it's, um, it's 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 quite an interesting report um and uh i guess listeners should look out for my article when it comes out
2: yeah yep i'm i'm looking forward to reading that so i don't have to read the whole 850 oh god report.
1: no why would you want to do something like that <laughs> <laughs> i had let's see, on sunday i must have had about 10 at least 10 people send it to me i don't know how it, i i don't know how it got out you know um, wow. It was just sort of being circulated by, by journalists and by activists. Uh, and I had all these different people to send it to me. And I was just like saying to them, I've got better things to do on my Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. Right. No, but seriously, thanks to everyone who sent it to me. But like, yeah, I'm not going to read that crap on it Sunday. <laughs> I have important puzzles and to be doing, you know. Yes. <laughs>
2: Bleak times. Bleak times we're in, eh? Yeah.
1: It's clarifying, though. It's it's clarifying in a way, you know. It's kind of a relief I don't have to worry about the Labour Party anymore. just go back to hating it. Yeah. (laughs) Like I used to.
2: Yeah, same with electoral politics here in the US. Yeah. It's, um, It's been a big... You know, there was a lot of excitement around Bernie's campaign, thinking that, you know, we could actually win some Human-based humanity-based concessions, right. but no. The the you know this has just highlighted how the system is geared toward um, whatever the the democratic establishment wants, it will get at any cost. Um, so that's been really disappointing, but also a relief um, that, that now we can get back to real grassroots organizing. Yeah.
1: Um, it's it's no. clarifying and and it sh- it proves what you said um, online recently that um, being nice actually gets you nowhere and it's important to stop yeah, doing that.
2: That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No more nice. No more Mister no Nice more. Guy. <laughs> <No
1: more.
2: laughs> well, let's um let's uh, turn to the interview that I did recently with Deanna Butu. Um, any thoughts on on you know how all of this is impacting Palestinians, Asa?
1: Well, um, it uh, it's a great interview we've done with uh, Deanna. Uh, it was always great, uh, you know, uh, good to talk to uh, on the podcast. Um, and she just written an article for us about this issue about um, coronavirus and how the Israeli lockdown is um, affecting Palestinians um, and how um, it's being misused and and. Uh, you know, Israel will use any opportunity to increase and in its military dictatorship against Palestinians, and we see that's that's what's happening, really. So, um,
2: yeah. Great. All right. Without further ado, um, let's take a short musical break, and then we'll be back with Diana Butu. Stay tuned. Great. i'm nora barrows friedman and this is the electronic intifada podcast we continue our focus on the coronavirus in palestine and i'm delighted to be joined by our friend and colleague diana butu speaking to us from haifa Deanna is a former legal advisor and negotiator for the Palestine Liberation Organization and is also a policy advisor to Ashabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. She just published a feature on the Electronic Intifada titled Pandemic Lays Bare Israel's Systemic Racism. Deanna, thank you so much for being with us again.
0: Thank you, Nora. Thanks for having me.
2: So let's talk about how the coronavirus is affecting you and your family and neighbors in Haifa uh, and your friends and colleagues in the Occupied West Bank and Gaza. While people are quarantining, Israel has not stopped its violence and colonial projects across Palestine. Uh, In the last two weeks of March, the number of settler attacks on Palestinians was 78% higher than usual, according to the UN monitoring group OCHA. And Israel has been attempting to use Shin bait surveillance mechanisms to track coronavirus patients. Can you talk about what the landscape looks like for Palestinians trying to survive this virus and Israeli occupation at the same time?
0: It's um, you know th- this the coronavirus has exas- has exasperated in fact highlighted the racist system that exists in uh, in the country. So I'll take for example um, the 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 group that is uh, the group that people view as the most privileged, which is in fact not the case, but Palestinians who are citizens of Israel. Um, one thing that we saw immediately as um, as the measures were being taken in regard to the coronavirus was that testing was only being provided and only being done in um, in major Israeli towns and then in smaller Israeli towns, which is to say that large Palestinian towns or even smaller Palestinian towns were completely exempt from any of the testing. So uh, the city of Nazareth didn't have any any early testing. The the city of Im al Fahim didn't have any early testing. None of these places had any early testing and the results of this are now beginning to show. We're now seeing that uh, the number of cases of Palestinians who who have tested positive is on the rise. Mostly because there's been such a push to actually ha- by Palestinians to have testing in these areas. There's been such a, um, an uproar about having testing in these areas. But left to their own devices, there wouldn't be any testing in these areas. Another thing that we saw is that all of the, um, the, the materials that have been published, the, the awareness campaigns, have all been conducted in Hebrew, um, in Russian. But nothing in Arabic. In Arabic, it's only been done at the at the um, by the initiative of Palestinian doctors who have really tried to bear the burden of of um, the the Israeli state, the Israeli government, and their lack of spreading of information to Palestinian citizens of Israel. And you know the 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 difficult part of this is that the. This is exactly the group that should be that should be tested in higher numbers rather than the other way around because uh, Palestinians have high rates of of diabetes, high rates of hypertension, heart disease, and uh, and high rates of COPD, and these are all indicators that make the from what doctors have told us that make it worse. So if one were really um, focusing on making sure that everybody has quality health care you should be focusing on those communities first rather than those communities last but of course the problem is that Israel is based on uh, uh, it is a racist colonial state and um, and in its racist colonial model it's going to be Palestinians who are who are on the, the lowest end of receiving any of these health care um, receiving any health care not on the on the top end of it. And we see this not just when it comes to Palestinian citizens of Israel, but in when it comes to Palestinians who are living in the West Bank and the Palestinians who are living um, in in Jerusalem and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip that Israel is controlling all of that health care um, and yet making sure that the that that proper care is not being given to Palestinians, whether it's in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, or in the Gaza Strip. It's been quite the opposite, that they've gone out of their way to make sure that there, are no, there is no effective um, uh, treatment for, uh, for Palestinians who are living in these, in these various areas.
2: Uh, A few weeks ago, Israeli forces demolished a Palestinian field clinic. Um, There have been home invasions, and uh, I believe Palestinian citizens of Israel organized an emergency committee uh, and were trying to deliver food parcels to families near Jerusalem, and and Israeli forces intercepted and and confiscated uh, those those goods. How are Palestinian communities... um, coming together, uh, if, if possible, and, and helping each other. You know, I'm reminded of the days of curfew during the first intifada, especially when Palestinians engaged in community care, underground schools and widespread acts of solidarity. Um, what on the ground measures of solidarity and, and community care are happening?
0: There's, there's a lot happening. And I think I, I want to first add to, um, to your question by giving you a bit of a picture in terms of what um, what continues to happen as this pandemic um, spreads so as the pandemic spreads the occupation continues there's there's been no pause button or stop button to the occupation it's actually been exactly the opposite um, during a period where we're being told to stay at home and to, to self-isolate Israel's carried out home demolitions leaving leaving at least 26 people homeless they've They've carried out night raids in full hazmat suits, um, arresting 85 people, including 10 Palestinian children. They have uh, allowed settlers to do as they as they will. Um, they've been trying to push forward bills that in the Knesset that will lead to annexation. Um, they've kept Palestinian prisoners in a in in a system in which. They're unable to even be able to connect with their lawyers um, because they have enacted emergency regulations barring all visits uh, to to the prisons. And so you see that as this pandemic continues and as the focus is on the pandemic, um, the focus is no longer on the occupation. Israel is able to do whatever it is that it wants to do now in the in the midst of all of this is you as you rightly point out, there's a lot there are a number of different initiatives that Palestinians are carrying out things to keep people um, sane so whether it's whether it's measures to have uh, books read to kids online or or fitness uh, uh, fitness programs that various municipalities are doing online to having Um, Thursday night uh, parties where they're virtual parties to having online yoga to having um, theater that is online. There's a, a lot of measures that remind me of the days of 2002, but these are now being taken online. And so there's measures to keep people sane. And then there's measures that people are taking to protect one another. And on the protecting one another side, we've seen a number of Palestinian grocers come forward and allow people to take whatever food that they want to take. This is in very stark contrast to the images that we see in the United States. Um, take whatever food that you need, no questions asked. Uh, we've seen that communities have come together to try to um, sanitize various areas, uh, particularly in East Jerusalem. And that, of course, has been met by arrests on the part of the Israelis. Um, we've seen that Al-Quds University has developed a low cost ventilator that could be um, that could really change the way that that people are being treated not just here but around the world and we've seen that communities have really come together to try to support one support one another during this uh, very difficult time including financially and so these are all measures that um, remind me also of the days of 2002 when we were under curfew and, and, uh, and closure. Um, and without which I think that it would certainly be much more difficult to be able to survive these days, given that we know, uh, how, um, how unbearable the, the occupation is to live under. And, uh, and given that we know that, um, the uncertainty that, that this, that that this pandemic has brought.
2: Diana, um, what are some of the fears that Palestinians with different forms of identification and residency status have right now? Like uh, like you pointed out in, in your feature, if someone with a West Bank ID has been living in Jerusalem or Haifa with their family evading these segregation policies and the apartheid authorities, what could happen to them if they got sick?
0: This is um, one of the things that I... Um, worry about a lot because I have some friends who are in those, uh, situations and these are people who have had to, for the most part, go underground, uh, and live underground. And they've had to live underground for not not just the period of the the coronavirus, but in some cases for decades. Um, and, and by living underground, that means everything from being vulnerable to, um, being vulnerable to, you know, a partner that may not uh, that may not be kind, that may be uh, very mean. Um, to being vulnerable to the Israelis and being picked up and uh, and sent back uh, and separated from from your family indefinitely. Um, to in this period of time, being vulnerable to getting the virus and not being able to be treated, or <clears throat> even worse. Um, than not being able to be treated, being so afraid to, to, to even say anything or to, to, to even go to a hospital for fear that you're going to be sent back to the West Bank, sent back to the Gaza Strip and separated from your family, potentially permanently. Um, so these are the things that, that I worry about. And I worry about my, the, the, my friends and the people I know when when I'm thinking about my own situation and and worried about um, my family, the one thing that I'm at least able to do is go to the grocery store. And I often think about my very dear friends um, who don't have even that basic luxury of going to the grocery store because if they get stopped along the way, um, they might be picked up and, and sent back to the West Bank. They might be picked up and thrown into prison, who knows? Um, or they may contract the virus and not have any access uh, to healthcare. Um, so this is what it means, this is what these policies have meant for Palestinians is that for decades, uh, Palestinians, since 2003, Palestinians have had to live underground. Palestinians with mixed um, ID cards have had to live, for the most part, underground. and and living underground, um, particular during this coronavirus, makes you especially vulnerable.
2: Finally, um, you talked in your in your piece about some of these measures being normalized and how Israel is is exploiting um, the coronavirus pandemic to try and and, and make some of these measures, um, you know, part of uh, regular policy. Can you? talk a little bit about how how we can fight against that and and how to be vigilant uh, against this this sort of normalization
0: yeah I've, i i know that you probably remember the same things that i do back in 2002 during the yeah. um <laughs> while we were living under curfew and with the i remember um because it was very, I, I had just moved to the west bank it was um, a couple of years before that that yeah. Before that period, we didn't have the same level of um, invasions into the West Bank that we did after the curfew happened. Right. After the closures, we didn't have the same um, mass arrests. There, right. there were arrests, but there weren't on, in the same number. We didn't have the same number of checkpoints. There were, there were all a number of these things that existed. But they weren't of the in the magnitude that happened in 2002. And when 2002 hit, um, after the, the the siege and then the the, the closures and the lockdowns, etc., it just became normal in the eyes of many that yes, Israel's going in and carrying out a night raid. Uh, yes, Israel's going in and carrying out mass arrests. Yes, Israel's going in demolishing homes for because they because they want to. Um, it just became so commonplace. And that's my fear now, is that these same measures that are being undertaken now, not just in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, but also um, inside 48, are things that people are going to turn a blind eye to, whether it's having no hospitals in Palestinian towns to controlling uh, the healthcare system to continuing to carry out arrests in the middle of the night, to continuing to uh, demolish homes during this period, to um, to continuing to to have these very racist policies, um, to now saying that they won't provide ventilators to the Gaza Strip unless uh, unless they enter into negotiations over the Israelis that are uh, that are currently in the Gaza Strip um this is this is the the path that we're going on and and my fear is that uh, this is going to all become normal and so I think the way to push back against this is to keep our eyes on what exactly is happening and to recognize that Israel's doing this under the cover of the pandemic, just as they did everything under the cover of the 2002 um, siege and just as they, uh, enacted measures against Gaza, also under the cover of of, um, of the various blockades that they that they have uh, they, under the cover of the blockade that they've had on Gaza um, for decades, and so I, I I think it's very important for us to really keep our focus on what's happening and to demand something better and greater. I think that if we are going to emerge from this we have to ask ourselves what is it that was wrong in the past and uh, where do we want our future to look at? What what we want the future to look like and and i don't think that we want our future to look like um the current reality that israel has in place for palestinians and i think that we should be um continuing to to push for for um a completely different reality one in which uh, Palestinians are free they're not held hostage to Israeli whims um, one in which uh, it's not okay to demolish not okay to demolish homes where it's not okay to carry out night raids, and where it's not normalized annexation is not normalized. Um, this is where we need to, to go and I I'm, I know that through the work that you are doing and others are doing, Just to keep that attention on Palestine, particularly during this difficult time where we as a global community are being challenged. Um, You can just imagine what what the challenge is for Palestinians who are living under Israeli rule.
2: Thank you so much, Deanna Butu. Uh Deanna is a former legal advisor, negotiator for the PLO, and is also a policy advisor to Ashabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. We thank you so much for all of your work. Um uh, please stay safe, Deanna.
0: Thank you. you too. You too. You too, Mara. take care.
2: that's it for the electronic intifada podcast thanks to sharif zakut our music maker and production assistant for news information cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis visit us online at electronicintifada.net where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest follow us on twitter at intifada Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support The Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at The Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.